Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're talking Cowboys as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 282. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' week eight battle against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. Ben is a big part of the production of Eagles game plan, and with that in mind, we will talk about what went into making this week's show, producing it, getting all the segments ready for the talent for Greg Cosell, for Mike Quick, for Ike Reese. The keys to victory as well we will hit on here for the Eagles and some big matchups and stats for to keep in mind for this matchup. We'll do all of that at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report segment. And this week, I wanted to focus on really one of the most dynamic playmakers, not just on this team, but in the entire NFL through what he's done so far this season. That is their 2020 first round pick in this past draft. C.D. Lamb, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. He's coming off a bit of a rough game this past week against Washington, but what does he bring to the table and how can he impact this game on Sunday? We will cover that in Scouting Report. That show doesn't end there, though, because at the end of this week's show, I also caught up with Eagles safety Will Parks to talk about you know his background, his athletic background growing up here in Philadelphia, making that trek out west to play at Arizona and then eventually with the Denver Broncos before returning home this year to play in Philadelphia. Before we get into all of that, though, Just a couple of quick reminders here. First off, if you haven't yet, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I answer questions every single show right here. So if you leave a question, we will answer it right here on the show. Also, I mentioned Eagles game plan. Before we get into my chat with Ben, I wanted to give you a little bit of a tease to a segment I did this week uh, with Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. We broke down a few of the the big plays from last week's win over the New York Giants. We talked about the game-winning touchdown from Carson. And Wentz to Boston Scott. Here's a bite from a segment we call Tape Study, presented by Chickies and Pete's. We'll look at the game-winning touchdown. Carson Wentz to Boston Scott. Take us through this play because there, there's a lot of layers to it. Excited to get your thoughts on, on how this play came to be. There is a lot of layers, and, and obviously this is a great play to start with because it's the game winner. This play, obviously, we put Richard Rodgers. You can see the tight end there on the left. He's in an off position, and, and we used him in protection on this particular play. Gives us another layer of protection for the quarterback. And then we're taking 13, Travis Fulgham, down here at the bottom of the screen. And he's running what we call an angle route. So he's going to push inside and then run an angle to the back corner of the end zone. G. Ward in the slot, Greg Ward in the slot, is running a deep cross. So he's kind of working back across the field as well. And then Boston Scott is what we call a rail route. And he's just going one-on-one with his man and just trying to circle the defense. And it's an opportunity with protection to take a shot down the field. If it's not there, you got the one-on-one matchup with Boston Scott. And Carson here stood tall in the pocket. Uh, We had a really good pocket right here. He moved a little bit and made a NFL throw with a defender all over Boston Scott to make this over-the-shoulder grab. Which just a great play by two guys. Obviously, couldn't be happier for Boston to make this catch and, and, and win the game for us. So take us through from a coverage standpoint, Coach. You know, New York, they're running a little bit of a bracket here, it seems, where they're going to kind of double-team these two guys, the immediate threats into the secondary. Does that allow for Boston to just kind of maintain that one-on-one, even though he's still working vertically? 
Yeah, bracket coverage is just that. It, it kind of plays out as a quarters look or a man type of a look for the quarterback where they can really double, you know, as you see there, you can double the number one receiver to the weak side. And then in this case, the slot receiver there at G. Ward. And quite frankly, the, the one-on-one matchup is always going to be the halfback on a linebacker and or a safety with this particular coverage. And, you know, I'd like to say that it was all credit on me by, by a great play call, but, but I think more than anything, it was a great play by Carson and Boston Scott. So, Coach, let's go now back to the from the last play offensively to the first play. And I'm interested to look at this end around for Deshaun Jackson on the opening play of the game. We actually broke this same play down against this same defense a few weeks ago here on the show with San Francisco. Brandon Ayuk on a touchdown. Excited for you to break this play down for us here to Deshaun Jackson. Well, first of all, we were excited to get Deshaun Jackson back in the lineup for this game. So we wanted to get him some touches early and get him involved. And this is a great way to get a guy like him involved. And this is just a standard end around where we're going to fake a weak side sort of stutter. We're going to pull the guard. We're going to fake the running back coming to the two-man, what we call the two-man surface or to the left here. And then Deshaun is just pushing and running his around. And you look at the top of the screen, Greg Ward, he's the point player in the bunch set. His job is to pin that defensive end, that outside linebacker, position right there on the line of scrimmage just keep him there and then Richard Rodgers is selling as if he were going to get in behind the guard Herbig and, and pull up for the linebacker you typically on the stutter but then he wheels around and he and Travis Fulgham now have the two outside defenders right there Carson shows ball here comes Deshaun it's really good timing by those two and then now here comes Richard Rodgers here comes Jason Kelsey we got the Calvary out in front and it's a great way to start the game, 12-yard gain, and to get Deshaun uh, involved early. I know you guys are always looking around the league at plays that are working, plays that are trending. Was this one of those ones? Because it feels like I've seen this play on film all around the NFL all season long. Yeah, you know, teams have used it against us, and it's a play that we do have in our arsenal. It's been in our game plan, been in our you know our training camp playbook a lot, and so it was, it was a good time to pull it out and use it, uh, especially when you got a guy like Deshaun back in the lineup. It's always good catching up with Coach Peterson. We broke down uh, three total plays from that game, so make sure you go check that out this week on Eagles Game Plan. That'll be up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app on Friday. Uh, If you're local to Philadelphia, you can also check out uh, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., NBC 10 Philadelphia. That's when Eagles Game Plan rolls on TV. So uh, that being said, we've talked about Eagles Game Plan. Let's talk about it now with the guy who is just so critical to the production of that show on a weekly basis. That is Ben Fennell. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back again for another segment of Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend, my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, welcome back, man. It's good to be back. Let's, uh, let's talk through this matchup, man, because it's, uh, it's obviously been a little bit of an extended break, obviously with the Eagles playing on Thursday Night Football as we get ready uh, for this Eagles-Cowboys matchup. And Look, it's Eagles-Cowboys, so there's always a a lot of buzz, a lot of juice in the city getting ready for this game. The fact of the matter is Dallas isn't playing particularly well, and so it was a little bit difficult this week to to kind of put together uh, an episode of Eagles game plan just because, too, the other thing is the injuries on both sides, with both squads being banged up and questions in the air about who's going to play and where were they going to play. And uh, and this is on both sides, not just Eagles, but Cowboys as well. Um, It was tough to kind of really kind of put concrete thought into – getting these segments ready for me you know, early in the week, getting ready for a show that debuts late in the week. But let's just talk through what we've kind of uh, settled in on with the Cowboys defense. We wanted to talk about 
defending Carson Wentz with his second reaction ability with those scramble drill situations. We've seen Carson uh, be so effective over the last few weeks in those kinds of scenarios where he's able to break the pocket and make something happen with either his arm or his legs, uh, namely that 30-yard reception from Carson to Richard Rodgers late in the game last week that helped say, uh, set up the game-winning touchdown. Uh, that was kind of an area we said, all right, this could, this could be kind of interesting from Dallas's standpoint. And then uh, with the Cowboys' offense, just kind of getting into their identity, which is that you know quick game, ball out, you know, Mike McCarthy. I remember when Mark, Mike McCarthy first got hired, we brought you on right here to the show to talk about, you know, his identity as a coach and what he was going to bring. And that really has kind of manifested itself in terms of a lot of quick game, focus on yards after catch, get the ball in the playmaker's hands very, very fast with simple, quick game, West Coast offense staples. And that's really what their identity has been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not the most competitive or sexy matchup heading into week eight, in the NFL at this point, but it's a great NFC East rivalry, but each team are kind of shells of themselves. And we're trying to sit here, you know, watching the film and figure out what to make of these rosters and the injuries on both sides of the ball. And neither team is obviously playing well, but the division collectively isn't playing well, which means it's up for grabs and it's competitive. So, um, but like we always say, you kind of throw out the records when these uh, types of rival games kind of come down the pipe in the schedule. And it's really fun to uh, anytime you have Eagles Cowboys week. So let's talk through this uh, this Cowboys offense from a philosophical standpoint, right? Because I think coming in, a lot of people, everybody was excited about this Dallas offense and what they were going to look like, all the weapons. And the weapons have looked good, right? I mean, whenever Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, when those guys get the football, they look explosive. They look dynamic. They can make plays. Um, you know, I, I know that you had noted they're one of the best yards after catch teams in all of football. And that was really what the – that was the crux of what they were built on, right? And as I mentioned earlier, it's – basic you know you look at double slant or slant flat you know stick shallow crosses all the basic west coast offense staple route concepts and that was it i mean the ball was coming out of Dak's hands fast uh let's get the guy let's get these guys the ball especially when it came to amari cooper and cd lamb let's get them the ball fast and let them do most of the work yeah, the offense was really generating a lot of a lot of yards and points early in the season. They got behind early in some games and really had to abandon the already abandoned run game. And that's why Dak was on pace for five thousand yards or whatever uh, you know crazy passing total. But they're two and five and lucky to be two and five, squeezing that one out against the Atlanta Falcons in week two with the crazy onside kick uh, late in the game there. But. You know, this is a team that just, you know, defensively has not done them any favors, uh, absolutely getting gashed week in and week out, putting the offense in bad spots. And then or even early on, just turning the ball over way too much, even with Dak Prescott, then into Andy Dalton and now into the Ben DiNucci era of the Dallas Cowboys. You just can't sustain offense and win games, you know, on a week-to-week basis if you're going to turn the ball over and get absolutely run through uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But when they were healthy and they had C.D. and Amari and Dak Prescott and Zeke and a semblance of their offensive line, I know Tyron Smith was kind of in and out and Zach Martin was in and out trying to figure out the next uh, era of the center position as well now that Travis Frederick is no longer there. Um, so just a lot of moving parts with the Eagles, the Cowboys, and it's been a really turbulent eight weeks that really feel like almost a four month, you know, type of uh, time frame. 
I think when you look at them, you know, you look at the offensive side and it's like, all right, well, uh, you know, we talked about what their identity is in the past game. And then you look at it from a personnel standpoint, Dak uh, Prescott, when he was in there, was playing at a very high level. Um, again, ball out fast. He was able to create, and they, they were able to create some chunk plays down the field as well. They've been one of the most explosive pass games uh, in the league. But I think when you look, um, a lot of their downfield shots for the most part, have gone to uh, the the wide receiver, Michael Gallup. He's their X receiver. They'll line him up to the boundary, and you'll see a lot of vertical routes there. Uh, that, he's kind of been their downfield shot weapon. But outside of that, as I mentioned, they're just looking to carve people up with those basic pass game concepts. So when Dak gets hurt, I'm like, okay, well, let's let's see what this looks like with Andy Dalton. And we watched the Arizona game together. Uh, we watched the Giants game or the, uh, the Washington game together. And you got to kind of see, all right, this is what the offense is going to look like with him at the helm. A lot of shotgun ton of empty and I think a lot of that goes to Dalton but I think a lot of that speaks to the offensive line as well and some of the issues that they've had just in in pass protection I mean you mentioned they come into the end of the year the Dallas O-line has obviously gotten a lot of pub over the course of the last you know five six years but Tyron Smith has been just really I mean he's been really struggling with injuries when it went healthy he's been a good player and at times he was an elite top shelf player I'm not sure that he's quite there at this point in his career and the injuries have just really prevented him from being on the field and being reliable from that standpoint Connor Williams has been very up and down probably more down than up over the the tenure of his career so far and he's in his third season now a former second round pick uh, from the University of Texas you look at center you mentioned they move on from Travis Frederick they were hoping um, that uh, Joe Looney was going to be the starter he's just now getting back to practice he's been on IR so they've had to rely on the rookie center uh, uh, Tyler Beatish from Wisconsin was a fourth round pick not a special talent uh, you know more of a grinder uh, type of player there in the trenches and he and he's been okay but again you're dealing with a rookie center Zach Martin's been banged up he missed last week with a concussion he missed some time earlier this season as well there's been thought is he going to be a right guard is he going to be a right tackle is he going to be somewhere else when he comes back into the lineup because Terrence Steele He's been the undrafted free agent right tackle. Uh, Lel Collins has been out all season long, and he just he's officially done for the season. So Terrence Steele, who has struggled, he's been what you would expect from an undrafted rookie right tackle. So I think when you look at this offensive line, they have really given them a lot of issues. And I think now when you look at those empty sets with what they've done the last two weeks, I really don't think that that will change, whether that's Andy Dalton or Ben DiNucci under center for this team. Give us the, the pros and cons of an, of an empty set and what that does for the offense and some of the pitfalls of that as well. Well, I think the Cowboys are going to that just to protect the quarterback, protect the offensive line, get the ball out of his hands, try to get some timing and rhythm with the pass game. You know, it's great to identify coverage and pressure information pre-snap, but the downside of it, you have minimal protection. That means you have minimal time. So typically the ball is coming out. You're not pushing the ball down the field. You're not generating a lot of explosive plays. It's really a, uh, you know, a vanilla type of scheme on offense in order to get a vanilla scheme on defense. But the downside is you really can't attack down the field with the way uh, the protection is structured. But I think the Dallas Cowboys offense is really interesting philosophically because I think they're at a uh, kind of a philosophical crossroads in bringing in Mike McCarthy, who's a, you know, for lack of better words, a pass game type of style of coach that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback position to execute the scheme. Well, this is a team that just paid Zeke Elliott. And you paid a lot of those guys on the offensive line. And for a long time, the strength of the team was to run the football. And Mike McCarthy has gone right back to his, you know, trend and style of the Green Bay Packers, where right now they're running the ball overall 31st on first and 10 or 29th. So all the analytics guys that don't want to run the ball, they're going to like that. But 
this really isn't the identity and the profile of the team. And they want it to be a run first type of offense, but I know they paid Amari Cooper and they're working on a franchise deal right now, uh, you know, franchise tag deal at Dak Prescott and trying to work out something long-term. But I just don't know if I agree with the philosophical approach of getting a coach that relies on philosophical approach and getting a coach that relies on the pass game when you seem to be an offense built for the run and you're abandoning the run more and more on a week-to-week basis as your quarterback's not there, your old line's not there. I just don't know what they want this identity of the team to be moving forward. I think it's a much bigger picture and conversation than uh, people are having. And I think it's interesting too, man, not only that, but when you look at their running backs carries in terms of like who they're giving the ball to when they do run, Zeke Elliott has gotten less than 60% of the touches so far out of the backfield as a runner. I mean, he's getting 58.7% of the carries. Tony Pollard has just north of 16% of the carries. Fred, so Zeke, is on, the ball. Zeke is on a trajectory right now to be in the same boat as Todd Gurley, paid and out. David Johnson, paid and out. Le'Veon Bell sat out to get paid, got paid and out. I really think Zeke Elliott is going to be the next in this conversation of elite running back paid and eventually out for whatever reasons, whether it's scheme injuries, you know, off the field, you know, locker room stuff. I just don't understand paying him and not using him and making him the fixture of this offense, even with the quarterback issues, right? Dak goes down. You have this top flight running back you paid and you want to be a future and a pillar of the offense, Run this dude into the ground. Give him the ball. Let him carry the offense and be the guy. And I know they've tried to, and he really hasn't lived up to, uh, you know, the standard I think we all see for Zeke Elliott. Um, but it's a collective thing with the injuries. Now now you're dealing with stacked boxes and just a really tough approach right down there in Dallas. And I think, too, the, the ball security has certain been, certainly been right. an issue this year, and that's not going to help, right? If Mike McCarthy, if he, if he trends naturally to want to throw the football, and then it's like, look, we, we have to run the football with Zeke, and then he puts the ball on the ground, like that's not going to help Mike, Mike McCarthy, right? Exactly. I mean, he, now he's they're, look at now they're in a tough situation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so going back just to a, from a personnel standpoint, just looking at Andy Dalton, okay? And I, I, to me, the way that I look at Andy Dalton at this point in his career – just to give Eagles fans kind of a, a picture in their mind, I would say it's very similar to like Sam Bradford, right? And, and talking with uh, Joe Goodberry, who does a great job covering the Bengals, has for a long time, uh, does a lot of writing for The Athletic. You look at Andy Dalton and talking with, with Joe, I said, you know, wh- where is Andy at this point in his career? Because he watched every, he's watched every single snap leading into this season. He said, look, he's going to run the play the way it's designed and he'll take whatever the defense gives him. If you give him one-on-one over the top, he's going to take it. If you give him a five-yard check down on third and eight, He'll take that too. He's not the guy that's going to consistently just go and make a play when you need it. His accuracy is solid. It gets worse um, on more difficult throws when he's got to drive the ball you know, down the field. He can be confused by things pre-snap, doesn't always locate the safeties, and he'll drop his eyes if pressure starts to compile. I think when you look at him, I think there's a lot of similarities to Sam Bradford when he was a starter here in Philadelphia. You look, what was it, 2014, 2015, leading into the 2016 season. I think that that's kind of where Dalton is, which, by the way, that mesh is okay with, with Mike McCarthy. I think the problem is, is that just right now, the offensive line has uh, just not been able to hold up enough for him that he's going to be able to drop back and be able to make plays comfortably because I talked about the pressure, that, that how that can impact him negatively. That's, that's a problem for Andy Dalton, right? So I think when you look at this offensive line, they're really kind of hamstringing what they can do because they can't protect Dalton, who needs that protection, and they're not really getting a ton of push up front in the run game to open things up for Zeke Elliott. 
Then you look at how that meshes with the scheme. The scheme is simplistic, purposely simplistic, right, to get the ball to their best playmakers. And those guys are dangerous, We, as we mentioned, with C.D. Lamb and Cooper and Gallup. Uh, Noah Brown's a nice player. Cedric Wilson's a really nice fourth receiver. Uh, Dalton Schultz has done nice things as a tight end. We haven't talked about the running back, Tony Pollard, out of the backfield as well and his versatility, uh, what they do with him in the pass game and in the perimeter run game. So the weapons are there. They're the, the, the core stuff that leans into those weapons is just the, the shaky part of it right now for them. You don't think we're breaking any news by saying Andy Dalton's kind of a limited quarterback. You could win games with them, as he proved in Cincinnati for yep. five years. I think what you're describing also, he's not that much different than Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And I think if Andy Dalton was down there in Washington in that offense and then, you know, eventually, you know, got paid and went to Minnesota, Kirk Cousins is the same guy, a limited quarterback, good initial read type of player. But when things break down, and that was always my knock on Sam Bradford in St. Louis, great quarterback when things are perfect. But when something breaks down, he needs to get off his read. He needs to move in the pocket. And listen, Fran, it's the NFL. Things break down a lot. Yep. And and you have to be able to have problem or solutions to problems, you know, within the course of a play. And I think there are certain quarterbacks in the league, whether it's Andy Dalton or the highly paid, more, you know, uh, you know, big name quarterback like a Kirk Cousins that are limited when things break down. And I mm-hmm. think uh, that gets himself into trouble. So let's go to the defensive side now. And you talked about, or we, or we talked about earlier, how it was tough to kind of pinpoint exactly what we wanted to talk about because this defense, I mean, they're historically bad right now when you look at the numbers, right, with what they're doing. And I mentioned the stat that you had brought up uh, earlier this week with Greg Cosell about, um, you know, the run game and how they, you know, where they ranked in terms of yards before contact and where they ranked in yards after contact and how that was just a, a really easy way to kind of look at the issues they were having uh, on the ground. And now since that point, since that recording, they've traded Everson Griffin. They've uh, said that they're going to release if they can't trade. This is where we're recording this Wednesday, midday, around 12.30 p.m. Uh, they have not made any moves yet, but they've talked mm-hmm. about uh, the, the reports are that they're going to release Dontari Poe, who's been a starter at them, or for them at nose tackle, and then also Daryl Worley, the veteran corner. So I think you know they're, they're trying to shake things up on that side of the ball, right, and you know get some new guys in. We'll see if that what that means. You know, <laughs> Does that mean that – Bradley Anai gets more snaps at defensive end. Uh, they're obviously hoping that Chidobia Wuzie comes back off IR and kind of take some of those snaps away from Worley. Uh, you know, at defensive tackle, will we see more uh, Neville Gallimore? Um, you know, what does all that all that mean? I guess is the big thing. But I think ultimately, uh, this is a defense that they're they're just trying to find something to be able to hang their hat on to be able to do what they're not doing anything well at this point in the year. Yeah, I just really brought up those run stats, not to throw you know more dirt on a team. All the yeah, down. I was just more impressed that it's tough to give up the most yards before contact and then the second most after contact. Typically, if you're a bad run defense, you somehow fit into one of those. But they're just obviously getting gash before before the tackle point at the tackle point. You know, whatever it is. But as we like to say, Fran, in our Seinfeldisms, the Cowboys are starting to name names. <laughs> and as point. we watched the tape this past week, we're kind of looking at each other like, what is this? And right. it's been on the field for six, seven weeks, and now they're naming names. And Don Terry Poe, Daryl Worley, we're going to release them if we can't get can't get them traded. Listen, they're released, released by the end of the day. They've yep. been horrendous. And there's a couple other guys in that conversation that probably should also be fire sailed and you know, given for 10 cents on the dollar. Right. Because you, you have to start naming names. This team and the defense is playing in one of the worst collective fashions in the NFL. 
Yeah. We can't just keep, you know, putting the same roster out there. Yeah. Let's start making changes, find out who the problems are, figure out what we have with some of the young players. Like you had mentioned Neville Gallimore and things like that. You know, just uh, let's start turning the page. They're two and five team right now. I don't think they're, you know, envisioning being a competitive team for the rest of 2020. Let's figure out what we have moving forward and uh, let's start trimming the fat. And it sounds like that started. That's no, no question. I think coming into the year, and you and I have talked about this too, you know, the hiring of Mike Nolan, what was the identity going to be? Were they going to be man coverage, zone coverage, 4-3, four, 3-4? Three, three, four. He's done a little bit of everything throughout the course of his career as a head coach and as a defensive coordinator, most recently a linebacker coach down in New Orleans. And, you know, the way that it seems like they're, they're trending is three-man front and base. They're going to put uh, their outside guys, you know, Demarcus Lawrence and, um, you know, the designated pass rusher, whether that's Alden Smith or Dorrance Armstrong, they're going to stand him up off the other side. All right, now let's see, uh, you know, what those guys can do out of, you know, in the base. And then when they go nickel, they're playing a nickel, you know, more than two-thirds of the time. They play a lot of dime as well. But they haven't been able to play man coverage really at at that high of a rate right now in terms of quality. They're playing a lot of zone, a lot of cover three, a lot of cover four. Um, You know, they'll play man on on third down, which most teams do. But, uh, you know, most most often they're playing a lot of zone. And it's, you know, it's. Mixed results so far, I think, to be kind um, with what this team has been able to do. So they're trying to find answers. And, and that's why, to me, that's why for us, you know, we're trying to put the segments together for Eagles game plan. It's like, all right, like, we're not going to uh, say how, how bad this team is in numerous areas. Let's try and find they're, – they're game planning this week to try and stop Carson Wentz, to try and stop uh, Travis Fulgham, to stop whoever's running the football, whether it's a healthy Miles Sanders or if it's Boston Scott. They're going to try and come into this game to try and game plan. Let's see what they're going to try and do. And that's why we kind of thought, all right, let's uh, – what, what could they do to try and stop Carson Wentz from breaking the pocket? And that's why we ultimately uh, went with that direction in terms of the, uh, the segment there for Eagles game plan. Let's get – now get into some of the areas that we wish we had kind of gotten in and I think the one guy that we I don't I don't think we even mentioned him in the show you we've talked about him already here we didn't talk about Ezekiel Elliott this week in, in Eagles game plan and I think it's more <laughs> that decision was made more in terms of the usage uh and you mentioned it you know with Mike McCarthy that to me like that it, that's almost like shocking that we come into this game we didn't really mention Zeke at all uh in that show and it, it's not necessarily with what he's done it's more in terms of how they're just not using him to that impact, impactful level that we're used to seeing. You know, I put out the metric on their run percentage, I think around week three or week four, because they were yep. last in the NFL. And all the don't run on first and 10 analytics community came out saying, good, 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 good. If that's the case, get rid of Zeke Elliott like this week or next week. Like find a trade partner, partner, get draft picks. There's no reason to pay him what you're paying him for this type of offensive approach. And I know we don't believe in the uh, completely abandon the run type of approach. Yep, right. yep. Um, I believe in balance, and that's what I love out of Sean McVay and Doug Peterson and Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. And I love the teams that, you know, can win in multiple ways and attack you through beating you up in the in the run game and then working play action and shot plays and moving the pocket. And, um, yeah, you know, but, you know, they have injuries, but they had some interesting players to still talk about. I'm not sitting here trying to do a Ben DiNucci breakdown or show you what, you know, Terrence Steele does right and wrong. But, you know, they still have C.D. Lamb and Tony Pollard and Michael Gallup. So yep. there are a couple of guys I thought that are fixtures of this offense, pillars of the offense moving forward that I thought were worthy of talking about that, you know, just didn't fit into the show. But yep. um, a lot of conversation around these two teams. But the Cowboys still have some fun young players, particularly on offense. No question. So with, with that in mind, is there a one-on-one matchup that you're most excited to watch in this game? 
you know, I looked up and down these rosters, Fran. They're depleted. I mean, there's yep. a lot of injuries and moving parts that we talked about. Normally, Fletcher Cox versus Zach Martin is a pretty premier type of pay-per-view matchup. If it's Connor McGovern in there, I'm still watching that because I'm expecting Fletch to just tear through him like a turnstile. And this is a game, if it's Connor McGovern at right, uh, right guard there over Fletcher Cox most of the afternoon, I need Fletcher Cox to have a big week to be dominant and disruptive on a down-to-down basis. And I know he's starting to get his his stride back, start a little slow this year. I think the collective defensive front of the Eagles is playing really good over the last couple of weeks yep. with Malik Jackson and Derek Barnett and BG. I think they're all really hitting their stride uh, as we're approaching midseason. And I think to that to me, like I wanted to stay in that same area. I went with Brandon Graham going up against whoever the right tackle is, whether that's Terrence Steele or if they do, in fact, move Zach Martin over to right tackle. I think when, you know, you look at BG, you look at Fletcher Cox, you look at, uh, you know, even the, like Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, those guys are all playing well. Javon Hargrave, Malik Jackson, when he's been out there, all these guys have really done a lot of really good things. So I'm excited to see them against this group. That being said, I'm not going into this matchup necessarily, Ben, and thinking, oh, man, like the D-line is going to get seven sacks in this game, right? Because of the way that Dallas plays – you know, ball, ball, the ball comes out fast. So it's about impacting the quarterback. I don't know that it's going to result in a bunch of sacks. I think what did Washington have like two or three the other day? Now they were impactful. They were on third down. There was a sack fumble. There was a safety, right? I mean, there were things that turned into big plays for the Washington football team. I just, that's the thing is like make the, when you do get those rushes, try to make them count. All right. So uh, the big thing now I want to get into is the, one of my favorite parts of this episode every single week is uh, your favorite stat of the week. Is there a number or two that uh, you feel is really, really important, really pivotal in this matchup. Well, in this game, you know, we talked about Dallas's run commitment. Both these teams obviously struggling to uh, generate turnovers and protect the ball on the offensive side of the ball. Dallas getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand, leading the NFL, I think, in producing yak, but also leading the NFL on 11 personnel. That's three yeah. receiver sets, a very another common trend of Mike McCarthy not really relying on the multiple tight ends like we see in Philadelphia or multiple backs like we see in San Francisco. 11 personnel pretty through and through. Their run defense numbers are just eye-popping. We already mentioned the yards before contact, after contact. 10-plus runs, those explosive runs, 10-plus yard runs, most in the league as well, so uh, getting gashed too much. But the Eagles' defense, I think, is playing much better than uh, – I even I thought on tape and seeing some of the metrics, they're third in the NFL and quarterback hits and the pressure rate, which is the uh, the ability to generate pressure based on how many snaps you've played. They're getting the fourth fourth most pressures. Yep. And I really think that's upticked in the past couple of weeks uh, with Malik Jackson and Cox and Derek Barnett playing some good ball. Seems like Josh Sweat every time he steps on the field uh, is making impact plays. But at the end of the day, Turnover differential. The Eagles are uh, 28th at minus five, and the Cowboys are 32nd at minus 13. And I think that's going to be, you know, the story of the game. Who can get their hands on a turnover and really put their offense in a good position? That minus 13 is wild. And I know they've, I think they've had one pick and it came in week one, right, mm-hmm. against uh, against the Rams. So I, I think this is obviously a Dallas team that has really struggled to kind of create those turnovers. That stat is wild. Thinking about the 11 personnel, I was, I was, I was thinking about this this week, actually. You know, you get the return of Avante Maddox this week, I think, is the, is what we're expecting, right? I think when you look at Avante Maddox, that allows Nickel Roby Coleman to uh, play more in the slot and nickel. I would expect 
obviously less base defense, right? So TJ Edwards potentially back in the lineup. How much is he going to be playing? How much are we going to be seeing big nickel or, or big dime? You know, how many reps will we see of Will Parks? How many reps will we see of a TJ Edwards and those guys? You know, Duke Riley, obviously more healthy now. So, uh, you know, as Alex Singleton has c- continued to earn more reps, uh, I'm, in, I'm just interested to see how they will deploy all these guys against that heavy 11 personnel set, as you mentioned, leading the league in 11 personnel. All right, uh, let's now have you empty the book here, Ben. Any other thoughts from around the league? A couple of nuggets from that have come from film, film study and uh, you know looking at the, the stats from around the NFL? So this is one of my favorite segments, just kind of bouncing around some of the uh, news and notes I've collected over the week. It's a big play business here, Fran. You got to create big plays. You got to prevent big plays. And I love looking at defensively who is allowing the most and who is preventing them. The Ravens, the best in the league in preventing those 20-plus yard plays, but the worst in the league, surprising teams, Atlanta Falcons, Cincinnati Bengals. Atlanta Falcons took a corner in the first round, obviously needed to address the back end of that secondary. And the Bengals, I think a lot of people are kind of uh, paying a little attention to their offense as Joe Burrow is getting a little more comfortable, but their defense is really, really struggling right now. And know who leads the NFL right now in slot reception, sir, Fran? What hmm. slot receiver is leading the NFL? If I had to guess, I mean, you throw Ty, some names out for you. Like Ty, Tyler Boyd. Uh, I'm trying to think. Slot I mean, Cooper, Cooper Cup, CD Lamb. Cole, you know, those how about type of guys. Uh, Cole, Cole Beasley. Well, you went right for it. You got Tyler Boyd of the Cincinnati oh, okay, there Bengals we go. Nice. right All now. Right. And him and Joe Burrow have a really good connection right there. And how about the New England Patriots? They're one of the teams that love to stay small defensively. They love dime. They love dollar defensively. Right. Six and seven defensive backs. Well, they played the 49ers this week, and they tried to stay small, just like the Packers tried to stay small last year, and they got ran right through Mm. for 197 yards and four touchdowns on the ground, really putting teams in a conflict with their personnel anytime they bring out Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle. Aaron Rodgers, zero turnover-worthy plays in five of six games this year, playing very, very efficient, safe ball, never putting the defense in bad spots. And looking at pressures from sophomores, Fran, we pay attention to so much of the rookies. But sometimes those guys need a year to get, you know, the speed of the game down and the timing down. So I like to look at what sophomores are leading the NFL in QB pressures. Brian Burns is number two. Montez Sweat of the Washington football team, number one, a guy that maybe didn't hit his stride as a rookie, but now with Chase Young on the other side, those Alabama guys on the inside, really fun defensive front down there in Washington. Interesting. Yeah, I would, uh, I would not have guessed Montez Sweat. Was a, and he, I saw he made a, a number of plays uh, in this game against And the Brian Alabama. Burns is really hitting his stride really as well good. for the Panthers. Yep, yep no question. Um, all right, man. Well, this was fun. We're going to dig. You talk about these young players uh, around the NFL, talking about the pass rushers. We're going to stick with our scouting report this week, talking about a very young player on this Dallas offense. That's C.D. Lamb. He's our subject this week in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, Ben, well, let's talk about C.D. Lamb. You know, coming out of Oklahoma, obviously a, a top, what was he, top 15 pick, top 17 pick uh, with the Sooners this past year by the Dallas Cowboys, uh, one of the top three receivers drafted in this spring's NFL draft. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on C.D. Lamb. We talked about him every single week on the Journey to the Draft podcast, it felt like. So I'm interested to kind of make this transition now, not just to what we saw at Oklahoma, but now what we're seeing with him in Dallas. Yeah, he's really used in Dallas in a uh, kind of a similar fashion as Oklahoma. A lot of worked over in the middle of the field, playing the slot and number three in trips. Uh, a lot of yards after catch opportunities. But coming from Oklahoma, kind of interesting career because he played with Baker Mayfield, who won the Heisman, then Kyler Murray, who won the Heisman, and then Jalen Hurts came over from Alabama, another Heisman contender. So three different quarterbacks, all in the NFL. 
Uh, interesting frame. He's tall, kind of a wiry, thin lower half guy. These guys in that 6'1", 198 package are typically the 4'3", and 4'4", style of players. Yep. CeeDee Lamb wasn't a straight-line burner type of guy. He was more of the creative ball-in-his-hands type of guy, a guy that knows how to separate, really competitive at the catch point. Really that returner ability with the ball in his hands. Instant speed, good start-stop ability. He's fast, he's quick-footed, but he's not like a burner over the top or just in a linear fashion outrunning guys. Really impressed with his ball skills. Elite, elite ability to attack the ball, track the ball over the shoulder, good adjustments on back shoulders and inaccurate passes. He's quick in and out of his breaks, can snap his head to sell double moves. Really love his manipulation in the routes. The speed manipulation, the stride manipulation, toying with his pacing and head fakes. The play strength was surprisingly good considering his frame. I thought he really, you know, got himself off of press coverage and separated when corners were, you know, on his back uh, at the uh, break point. Dynamic release package. And like I wrote down, just that returner ability, he can escape the phone booth. And you saw that plenty of times put on the Texas tape last year where he had six defenders around him. Uh, really impressive. Some of the cons, minimal press coverage out there in the Big 12. Yep. You just don't see it. A lot of quarters, a lot of off coverage. That thin, skinny frame. Just want to know if he's going to add any bulk or definition to that. Questionable top end speed like we had talked about. And whether you would have the play strength to handle NFL corners. Uh, we talked about the play strength a little bit just within the route in the Big 12, but to be able to get off press coverage. It reminded me a lot of Chad Johnson, hmm. that thin frame guy that wasn't a straight over-the-top vertical threat, but a guy that got himself open in and out of breaks and caught everything. And I know this is a bad time to talk about hands because I think CeeDee Lamb had three drops last week. Yeah, he had a mistaken. rough game this past week against Washington. Uh, yep. But tr- traditionally a pretty reliable pass catcher. Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me coming out of Oklahoma. His hands were outstanding. His ball tracking down the field was outstanding. Yards after catch for sure. He's one of the best yak weapons in all of college football last year. That so far has definitely translated. And his competitiveness, and I, I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with the yak, but he was also a really competitive blocker as well. I was interested to see the transition with him going to the slot because – Almost all of his reps came to the far left of the formation. He would move into the slot at times, but you know he was a, a kind of a you know a stationary route runner, right? Everything it was a, a somewhat limited route tree. It wasn't a full route tree with Oklahoma. I was really interested to see what he would look like moving into the slot full time, and he he's adjusted very well. And I think he has taken a good step as a route runner as well. And I think you, you credit uh, the other guys that are in that room. You credit CD. You credit receivers coach. He's definitely taken steps as a route runner. He's looked better there um, than what I saw you know, from a consistency basis uh, with the Sooners. I think that that was really interesting. I was most interested though. You know, you talk about the yak. You know, you mentioned he was not a burner, right? He ran four five flat uh, at the four, in the forty yard time in the forty yard dash of the combine. From a laser standpoint, he was four four two on the stopwatch. I didn't see a burner. I didn't. He was one hundred and you know ninety pounds, one hundred ninety five pounds. He wasn't a big, strong, powerful athlete. He wasn't that guy that was going to you know like Debo Samuel or uh, you know he's rocked up and he's going to run through contact time and time and time again. You didn't necessarily see that. So was that yak going to show up? I, I don't know, man. I think that, I guess it's just like a, uh, that might be a trait that. Like guys just have it or they don't, right? Like they have that ability, just that that uh, that feel for being able to make that first man miss and then that want to to be able to pick up every single inch you can after the catch. He certainly has that ability. And I guess the, the return background definitely shows up there as well. Yeah, you know, he really reminds me of the same player that he was at Oklahoma being used with the Dallas Cowboys. And I think positional fit and usage at the next level with these receivers is really important. 
And if he's not that burner of that 4-4 guy that can climb vertically on corners on the outside, let's not ask him to do it. And that's something that Michael Gallup does really well, especially in those isolation situations in Dallas. So that means you put defenses in really tough binds where you have a physical one-on-one receiver in Gallup. And then on the backside, you have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, guys that really specialize in getting themselves open in the quick game and intermediate areas of the field. So I love the balance and kind of complementative nature of the receivers between Gallup, uh, Amari Cooper, and uh, the young CeeDee Lamb there. It's going to be a team that's, like we talked about, heavy 11 personnel. Those three are on the field quite often, and I just love the kind of mix of skill sets, but you have to use them properly, and I really like the way Mike McCarthy has uh, implemented CeeDee Lamb into the lineup. How do you view him in this matchup going against the Eagles? I mean, we've seen Nikel Roby Coleman mostly in the slot, obviously some Craven LeBlanc as well, uh, more so when Avante Maddox has been hurt. I guess it'll be Lamb versus Nikel Roby Coleman for a majority of this matchup. Roby Coleman's had issues as a tackler. He's definitely uh, you know missed some tackles here in, in, in opportune times third down, red zone, uh, that will be something they, that really that cannot happen against C.D. Lamb because of what he can do with the ball in his hands. Well, I think the Eagles' defense, too, their front seven's been playing better. The defensive front, I think, get, has the advantage against this kind of injury-depleted Cowboys offensive line. So I think they need to find ways to manufacture quick gains outside of the run game and outside right. of the quick passing game up the field. So I want to see more perimeter action from the Cowboys, get the ball in CD, CD lamb's hands on maybe some bubble screens, things like that. Those different types of yards after catch opportunities, not just the quick game routes, the three steps, the stuff underneath, but maybe trying to play the numbers game in the box, getting him some advantageous blockers on the perimeter, or maybe trying to put Eagles linebackers in a bind with some mm-hmm. RPO style of uh, concept into the offense and really trying to uh, make the linebackers wrong and have a slant coming in behind zone actions of the run game. So you got to find just easy ways to manufacture this offense. And I think that starts and ends with the CD lamb, whether it's end arounds, jet motions, whatever you have to do. I think what happened the first seven weeks of the Cowboys rip the page. Let's come up with a good game plan for this week moving forward. That's a good point. Well, Ben, this was great, man. Excited to uh, talk a little bit of college football with you later this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast. You guys can find that podcast wherever you get your podcast. Ben, we'll talk to you soon, man. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all-new Broaden Patterson Wine Collection created in partnership with Wink. Featuring a Cabernet, a Rosé, and a Chardonnay, Broaden Patterson Wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com slash wine to stock up and have Broad and Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation. Before we keep going with this episode, it's really important to me that I talk about voting. Now, uh, no matter when you're listening to this, we are under a week away from Election Day on November 3rd. And I've talked about mail-in voting in the past and uh, everything you need to know to get that done safely and and efficiently. Now let's talk about in-person voting next week. Now, the first thing is that more so than any other year, you need to confirm your polling place. And you can do that by just visiting Get 
GetToThePolls.com. If you voted back in the spring during primaries, you may remember that a lot of polling places got consolidated because of COVID-19 precautions. So that will likely be the case in a lot of areas. So just to be sure, make sure you know where your polling place is. And I'll, honestly, I know this is the case for me in my district. My polling place got moved in the spring, but it's back to my normal place now. So you just want to make sure that you know where you're going to be going next Tuesday on November 3rd. Um, so make sure you can go, again, you can go do that at gettothepolls.com. You don't know what crowds are going to look like when you get out there. So the second part of this, make sure you give yourself plenty of time. Give yourself a little bit extra time than you think you need than what you normally need uh, on any other election. Next big thing, of course, is just a social distance. Wear your mask. Stay six feet away from other people whenever possible. Not all states are going to make masks mandatory at polling places, but please, just to be safe, but remember, masks are not just for you, that's for those around you. You're going to be voting around seniors, uh, people with conditions that you and I may not know about, but they, that they may not know about themselves, but it makes them more susceptible to s- serious complications from COVID-19. So please, wear your mask, wear it correctly, uh, You know, make sure we're taking care of everybody around us in our neighborhood. Next up, use hand sanitizer before you touch all surfaces. However, do not, and this might seem silly to some people, but do not use hand sanitizer on the voting machines themselves. Because if you do that, you could really cause the machine to malfunction. Just count on your poll place workers to keep those bad boys clean. They will do their part. You just make sure that you don't put uh, sanitizer or soap on the machines themselves. If you're really worried about it, obviously you can sanitize beforehand, but you can put on gloves or you know use like a, a napkin or a paper towel to kind of cover your finger when you touch the surface uh, of the voting machine. But please do not put anything on the machine itself. That will avoid any complications uh, for that and prevent other people from voting. So please don't do that. Remember, look, everybody just be safe. 100 million people, eligible voters, 100 million people did not participate in the general election four years ago. Do what you can to help lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Great stuff there from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at Eagles Entertainment. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is going to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating or leave us a comment. If you leave it a question, we will answer it here on the show. And I wanted to give a shout-out to someone who did just that. Write him. Let a five-star review saying, Fran, I was wondering, with Will Parks back in the lineup, do you think that we will see Jalen Mills get more reps at corner in some sets to help uh, add some height and length to that spot? And maybe we see Kayvon Wallace play more as the third safety. So, Will, I think that'll be interesting, obviously, with Kayvon uh, being currently injured. We'll see when he gets back in the lineup, how they try and mix him in. He played on base downs only just so when the Eagles were in their base defense. That was the package they gave him uh, when Will Parks was hurt and when Maddox was hurt and Mills made the move over to corner. So we'll see. I mean, if they feel that he could take it and they want to make you know get their best eleven on the field and try and incorporate him more, they might. But if not, uh, it wouldn't shock me if they said, "Look, embrace special teams. Uh, you know, embrace that role. We'll bring you along uh, slowly on defense." Remember, uh, Jim Schwartz said earlier this year, and I think that's a, a stop point. Is that um, you know when you're looking at the, up the, the the positions up the middle, linebacker, safety, uh, and you look on the offensive side, center, quarterback. Uh, you know, you you need those guys to. It takes a little bit of time to get fully up to 
the speed where they are playing consistent winning football. So you know, for them to be taking their time with guys like Kayvon Wallace, Davion Taylor, not all that surprising uh, to me in my end. So I think, we have, look, if, if you really want to get Kayvon on the field, that would be the pathway. I would say, okay, uh, we'll play Jalen Moore uh, at corner and we'll allow uh, you know, Will Parks to be the true strong safety and we'll bring Kayvon in in, you know, in dime situations and big nickel situations. But my guess, my, my feeling on it is they probably will stick with what the plan was from the jump. And that's for Jalen Mills to be the starting strong safety uh, with Will Parks coming in in those special sub packages and Avante Maddox staying outside in, in, uh, at the cornerback spot. So that would be how, how my gut says uh, that they would go the rest of the way. But we will see. We'll see how uh, it plays out. That's why it's important, though, for these guys to all be versatile because that gives them some flexibility here moving forward. Thanks so much to Wilt. Great question. Uh, and ironically enough, I'm glad you asked about Will Parks because he is the player that I caught up with this week. We'll talk about it right here now in our interview one-on-one with safety Will Parks. Excited to welcome in Eagle safety Will Parks. Will, thanks for joining us, man. Yes, sir, man. How you doing? Doing all right. So, uh, look, a lot of Eagles fans are fully aware. You grew up in Philadelphia. You make that West Coast trip. You go out to school to Arizona, and then you go to the Denver Broncos. You come home here to Philly. I'm excited to dig into your athletic background. Uh, before we get into football, what were some of the other sports that you played growing up, and what, were, like, what was your favorite sport, I guess, uh, as a little kid? Um, my first my first official like organized sport was football. Um, after that, I played basketball. I ran track. I played ba- I played baseball up at the 21st Ward in Roxborough, and then uh, I boxed a little bit. Uh, my uncle is George Benton, so I got a little bit of that boxing uh, background. Okay. But I, I was pretty much all over. Like it was wherever to keep me out of trouble. That's wherever I was at playing sports. Was there a, a sport that you feel best helped you make that transition to football, or do you kind of lean on most? Um, to be honest, like. I, I I love football, like it's in my heart, but like I'm not even gonna lie, like I swear I was going to the NBA at one point in my career. <laughs> I swear I was going to the NBA. I was like, man, I'm gonna be just like AI, and uh, I kind of made that football transition, kind of um, ninth, tenth grade in high school. You know, it kind of was like, all right, look, you know, basketball is slim to none. Football is like a little bit higher than that. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna just stick with football, and uh, and it got me here. How old were you when uh, the Sixers went to the finals? Oh one. What I was uh six, okay, seven, yes. No, I was actually I was I was yeah I was I was five six yeah. All right, so you were too young to like set up and set up. Were you no, like were you I, awake I, for like? I knew, I knew they played the Detroit Pistons. Okay, back then. okay, yeah, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. yeah, yeah. I remember like vividly, you know, being up, you know, staying up for him doing the step over Tyrone yeah. Lue <laughs> yeah. and everything, like all of that. I, mean, I, grew, <laughs> yeah, up, I, I grew up in Philly, like not too far from where uh, from where you grew up. So, yes, sir. Uh, you know, all that stuff, very very reminiscent. I want to dig in now to uh, your background playing football because I know when you played uh, at Germantown. Town, you were a receiver in a corner, right? Yes, so sir. tell did you always uh, play the skill positions even growing up through Pop Warner? Yo, to be believe it or not, my first official um position in football was uh Jason Kelsey. I was snapping the ball. <laughs> I was a center, you know what I mean? And I was always aggressive. And then uh I transitioned to right guard when I went to the 75 pound because I played for the Woodshaken Braves. Yep. Um little league team. I played I played right guard and then uh I remember that same year I was competing for a guy to play running back. They was like, hey, man, you fast. Run against this other fast guy with the ball in two hands over down the field. The guy just took off, mm-hmm. and it beat me for the spot. But uh, other than that, man, I kind of transitioned like quarterback. Then I played running back. Then I played corner. A little bit of linebacker. So I was really all over. So what's the second Braves? Is that the, the home field? It's right by D'Alessandro's? Uh, yes, by sir. The right right okay. by D'Alessandro's right. across from Chubby's. Yes, all sir. Right. All yes, right. sir. I want to make sure that we're on the same page. All right, so. When, were you excited about like making the switch out of skill position? Or were you mad that you got moved from the from the offensive line? I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie because when I was on the 75 pound football team, I played D tackle, <laughs> and we played the Ben Salem Ramblers, 
And I had like eight TFLs. I was just doing this nice old swim move the whole time. You know, kids don't know what a swim move is back then. I just seen it on Madden and just started taking off with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so take us now. You get to high school, and you're playing more wide receiver uh, and corner. Then you go to, to Arizona. What, when did you make that transition to the safety spot? And I, I want to really dig into what that transition was like for you. I'm going to be so detailed with this one. So right. um, my first two weeks of training camp, I was at corner. I moved inside to nickel. Yep. Then uh, I guess, you know, some way, somehow, they must have seen my aggressiveness and, and I could still cover um, inside. So it was like, hey, man, he's fast. He's whatever. He could do it all. Put him back high. I go back out of safety, and I'm messing up almost every play they call for me. I was just blitzing, and when it was a coverage, I was playing coverage when I was supposed to blitz. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I kind of just had to relax a little bit, understand, you know, as a safety, you have to see everything. You know what I mean? Not just that corner vigilant one side of the field. You know, you have to be a quarterback back there. So um, after that, it kind of just was super easy once uh, – my coaching staff in Arizona was pretty legit. I'm not even going to lie. They pretty legit, so – um, they kept me up to par, and, uh, you know, it got me here in the league. Yeah, I feel like, the, you know, a lot of fans might look at a lot of corners and say, oh, well, you know, if he doesn't if he doesn't play well enough at corner, just, just move him to safety. Oh, no, 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 There's no, so no. much that goes into that, right? Yeah, they, they have no com- complete idea, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, you know, we have to tackle. Yep. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, 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 if you're not ready to tackle, don't even think about coming back here. Mm-hmm. And then you're seeing the field. Like, what, how difficult was it to see the field from, you know, 20 yards deep, 18 yards deep, as opposed to, you know, playing out on the, on the boundary? Oh, uh, man, uh, you know, it, it, at first, you know, when I was at, when I first moved to safety in college, I would only visualize, you know, my side of the field. I see my corner and I seen the back in front of me and the D tackle, so I kind of understood that part. But then he's like, no, you have to factor in the other side, too, because that might change your responsibility. I looked at him like, what? And after that, you know, I kind of just, you know, uh, made that transition and it became smooth. And, uh, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, studying tape. And um, that's kind of one of my fortes is studying tape and understanding what, you know, offensive schemes are trying to do, especially as a safety. When you get a beat like that, uh, it makes your job a lot easier. You're a little bit closer to the ball instead of being 18 yards. You're now at, you know, six to eight yards trying to make a tackle or play on the ball. So. That's pretty good. Who was a, a player when you first got to Denver, uh, you first came into the NFL, that really kind of took you under the wing? Ch- really? Okay. TJ Ward. What, yeah. what did TJ do? I, like, the first time I, uh, I got drafted there, he said, what's up to me? Um, the May 6th was the official day I uh, moved out to uh, Denver from um, from Philly after the draft. And uh, uh, he, he texted me on Twitter, like, hey, man, come to my crib at 8 o'clock. Um, you know, I'm thinking, like, hey, you know, we're going to do something fun and stuff. Nah clean the crib, then we're going to do something fun. Kind of, <laughs> I had to clean his house. And then, we, you know, we went outside and stuff like that and had our fun. But uh, it was kind of him, TJ Ward, um, Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, and uh, Darian Stewart. You know, those mm-hmm. kind of the main, Fort Von Miller, the, DeMarcus Ware. You know, those six guys I kind of had um, as a young pup playing defense uh, over there in Denver. I mean, it kind of put me on their wing and gave me the, uh, the keys to the ropes. And then lastly, one of the big things that was talked about when you came back to Philly was your versatility. So all the different things that you do at the safety spot – What's your favorite thing? Like, what's the thing that's like that gives you the most juice uh, when the play is called? To be honest, um, like I, 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 I mean, a lot of people know I love hitting and making tackles, but uh, and making plays on the ball. But one of the, my secret weapons, you know, I want to say I'm gonna turn this to a different question. One of my secret weapons is um, putting a 300 pounder on a butt. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of I, I get infatuated by it. I get a thrive. I get a little feel of when I put a lineman on a butt. Well, see, so like that goes back to you playing center. Like you're just trying to move people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just want to like because I mean I know if I hit a lineman. You know, now that they now they know this little 200 pound guy isn't to be played with. 
So now I kind of get away a little bit with a little. I get away with a little bit more stuff, and I'm able to make more plays in the football. You know, when you're hitting those guys, you know, as a linebacker and stuff like that. So I'm 200 pounds. So if you catch me in the box, it's over for me. So I gotta hit you first. Did you have a, a secret weapon as a boxer as a kid? Like, is that do you draw on that? Yeah, I mean, like uh, <laughs> it, it, my feet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Here my you feet, you know, my my, my feet, you know. And, and my uncle kind of was uh, George Benton. Uh, he, again, he was a, a Philly shell guy, you know what I mean? So without the shoulder, with, with your shoulder, you need your feet, you know, to move and duck punch and stuff like that. So um, I, I kind of can use that to my advantage as well. Well, Will, this was awesome, man. Really appreciate you joining us here on our one-on-one. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon, man. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com cutouts. Thanks so much to Will Parks and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.